Okay, so we're going to dive into chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. We're continuing the series. Last week, Pastor Brian, who is wonderfully enjoying his brand new grandson uh, across the U.S., where I'm thankful to be here in his stead to be able to teach uh, midway through chapter 4. And I want to summarize and read through the first verses that we talked about last week. Um, anybody not here last week? Raise your hand. Anybody not here last week? Okay, good. So those of you who were, we're going to go over the scriptures again. Those of you who weren't, we're going to talk about where we were last week so we can summarize it and then cover the scriptures this week that we're going to go over. Um, it's a privilege to be able to teach this morning. This chapter, I was telling my wife as I was preparing, the first part of chapter 4 of John talks about Jesus' interaction with this particular woman from Samaria, the Samaritan woman. The interaction is what Pastor Brian taught on last week. The latter part of the chapter is another section that Nick, who led worship, is going to teach next week, and its narrative is, is very focused and whatnot. I got the piece in the middle that seemed at first glance a little bit like daunting just because there wasn't this clear, concise narrative, but the more I've really chewed on it and uh, was talking to my wife about it, like now I'm pumped because it's so rich. Uh, this section we're going to cover this morning, starting in verse 27. Let's read, though, the preface to that section by reading 1 through 26. So follow along with me, and then we'll put the slides of our, pick, of our scripture this morning up on the screen for you. So if you, don't, uh, if you need a Bible, by the way, ushers have a Bible. You raise your hand, they'll get you one if they haven't already. Chapter 4 of John. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, that's John the baptizer. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. By, by way of reference, if just geographical uh, reference here. You have Judah to the south, where Jerusalem's at. In the north, you have this area called Galilee. That's where Jesus' ministry greatly centered upon, was Galilee in the north. You have the Jordan River connecting the two, from Galilee to the Dead Sea in the south. And in the towards the, the Mediterranean, you had this area, Samaria. It says, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That's about noon. So we know a few things right away. She comes to this well, this lady, in verse 7, from Samaria, came to draw water at the well. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman, of Samaria? That's a great question. He went over last week why. Those of you who missed it, uh, you might want to get that. Um, YouTube has all the messages there. Uh, you can watch it, but there's a few things here. How is it that you, a Jew, he was a Jew, Jesus was Jewish, born to Jewish parents, uh, promised Messiah of the Jewish faith. But he says, she says to him, why are you asking a drink from me? I'm a woman Pause right there, woman. There are certain connotations, culturally speaking, that are important there. But also, I'm a woman of Samaria. So this is weird, what's happening right now. Okay, let's, let's look at the interaction. It says, um, Jesus answered her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Pastor Brian went over the different types of living water. Living water is one that's flowing. It's a spring. It's not stagnant. It's not putrid. There's freshness to it. And Jesus says, if you would have known me, then I would have given you freely what you could have asked for, which is living water. So she's already intrigued. You get Jesus kind of baiting her into further dialogue, into further investigation and discussion. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So she's kind of going, well, I'm part of this tribe in connection to these great patriarchs of the faith. And here we are at this great holy site. And you're asking me to ask you for a different water than what's provided here. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Is he greater than the father Jacob? Okay, good question, good question. Jesus doesn't answer that specifically, but she goes on and says, he gave us this well and drank from himself. This is actually pretty special territory that you're in if you didn't know this already. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be what? Thirsty again. Guys, just sit on that for a second. Jesus is promising something very significant to this woman, but it extends out all generations to all mankind, including you and me. Whoever drinks of this water, as special as this place may be, is going to be thirsty again. But I'm going to give the person who comes to me and asks something called living water, which is completely superior to anything that you could draw for yourself. That's... First of all, speaking on her level would be a physical thing. Because she asks, right? Continue on. Um, Sir, (laughs) give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. I have to come draw here again. And so she's like, I want what you're selling. But Jesus is selling something far superior than what she's asking for at this point. Because he's still leading her to where and leading us to where. We want to talk about deep spiritual things of the soul, a thirst that goes beyond what you eat and drink to the very depths and core of who you are as a being. No matter how young you are or how old you are, we all have a need that needs to be filled. As hunger and thirst is common, the spiritual thirst of the soul is common. So Jesus says to her, go call your husband, come here. So he detours a little bit into something specific in her life. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So she's really honest. She's actually saying the truth. She's going with him in his depth of discussion willingly and she's starting to now think wait a second how does he know this jews don't associate with samaritans he's not from here i don't know anybody who's talked to him beat him to this well to give him all this information about me even though i'm coming so low how does he know this she's starting her cranks are turning it would seem it says jesus says to her woman believe me the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem you will worship the father this was a holy site it was biblical. There was some gifting of this property, and she, is, she does have a connection to that. But he's saying, even though the temple 
the place to worship would be in Jerusalem, where the Jews would focus their worship center, and you Samaritans on this mountain, then I'm going to tell you something. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Guys, that's a life-changing verse. Don't miss that. Jesus is like, it's not what? It's not location-based religion that we're after, that I'm after, that the Father's after. It's not something of routine for the sake of routine. It's not going to a certain destination so you can be holier than when you're at a different location. It's talking about the depths of the soul that is in dire need of quenching a spiritual hunger and a thirst that can only be fulfilled in me. That can be found anywhere because where can God go? Anywhere. Anywhere, especially that there's a need where he has someone waiting, like this woman at the well, who it would seem, just by her hour of visitation to this well, as well as being alone, that she's kind of one of these kinds of the fringe of society, in her own society. So Jesus is going outside his cultural norm. This is what I talked about last week, Pastor Brian. The cultural norm is being, one, going to a Samaritan, then going to a woman, then going to outcasts of their society that's already on the fringe. So he's, God sending Jesus to this woman, it's miraculous to tell her that there's a spiritual thirst that you have and there's a situation in your life, your history is such that you, you've gone through the gamut of heartache, maybe abuse, maybe just your own fault for, for making choices that you've made. When you realize the more, when you, when you realize how much You've fallen. Your thirst can either be temporarily filled by all kinds of things that we all know and familiar with, or you can actually settle the account by saying, I know there's nothing in this world that can satisfy the long I have to be what? Ultimately to be forgiven. Here's another one. Ultimately to be what? Loved. Not just love for what you can offer somebody else or God, but love because simply you're an object of affection. See, parents, you know this. When your child's born and you're, and you're holding, think about the stupars holding their grandchild for the first time right now, you know, this week. You just hold them and you're glorying in this child simply because they're here. You don't have to earn anything. In fact, they cry a lot. Last time I heard babies... Use diapers that you have to change. It doesn't matter. You're glorying in them. When you know that you're loved unconditionally by the Father who made you, that spiritual thirst that gets satisfied like no other, because in the depths of your soul, you're longing for just that, if you're honest. Guys, I don't know where you're at this morning, but can you just be honest with me for a second, because I share the same sentiment? For me to be truly loved, even though someone knows everything about me, the worst and the best, That's my longing. And I think if you're honest, you would say, that's your longing. And Jesus is like saying, hey, if you knew who I, what, um, I am, you would ask me, and I would have given you what truly you are thirsty for. Because she's obviously looked in other places. She says, and this is the last part of that last week, after this, you're going to worship me in spirit and truth, the Father seeking such people to worship him. 
God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Man. Yeah, boom. Like, seriously, mic drop moment. Okay, is Jesus just another truth giver? Is Jesus just another teacher that's good? Did Jesus just live a good life and provide an example for us to follow? Jesus says, I am he who the awaited, promised, scripture promised, giver of true life, the one who saves you and me. That is Jesus. He's, he's not making any question here. So the woman has some things to consider, doesn't she? And, and mind you, this, this is the craziness of this passage. It's just for her. Yeah, it's for generations to come. We're reading the scripture, this account, this story. But think about it. In the moment, that I am he was just for her. The outcast of the outcast of the outcast. He came to say, let's not mince words here. I'm who you're looking for. I'm who your whole people are waiting for. You may have it off, but I'm he. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that give you in the depths of your heart encouragement that, wow, Jesus, really me? 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 Just point to yourself right now and say, Jesus seeks after me, my heart, my soul. He wants to fill my thirst. What a beautiful, life-changing, crazy truth that is. Because then you're left with, like, really? Truly? Everything about me, you know that. You know, the Bible describes Jesus as having eyes of fire, both in the Old Testament and the New. Eyes of fire. The image there is what? Burning eyes. On flames can see right through to the very soul. And yet still says, I am he. So, picking it up. You guys okay? We're going right into this passage. Verse 27. This is where we're going to camp here, and we'll have the slides up for you. Just then the disciples came back. So they were gone, right? They come back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. This kind of cracks me up. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Probably for good reason, huh? They probably put their foot in their mouths, too many at this time at least, to say, let's not even ask him. Because they're all thinking the same thing. She's a woman. She's Samaritan. She's alone. Why is he a rabbi talking with her? But no one dares ask him because they probably think he's got a very good reason. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah? They went out of town and were coming to him. So she leaves her water pot and she says, well, if I really have, this is what I think, if I really have the living water gifted to me, why do I need a pot? So some of the summary from the first verse, I think that's a pivotal verse, by the way, 1 through 26, is he's going from south to north. He stops at the well. He addresses her past, her current state, her current theology, which is her truth, and adjusts that, and she has a life-changing experience. And then we go into the profound statements of the scriptures that lead into this section. If you knew me, you would ask, in verse 10, I would have given you living water. And then in verse 14, whoever drinks the water I shall give him will never thirst, right? The hour is coming, verse 21. 
You'll neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. And then 24, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And then I who speak to him, they're the Messiah. And so when they come back, they're starting to marvel. With all these things transpired, they don't have any knowledge of at this moment. They just come and see Jesus talking to this woman. Rejected, suffering, Samaritan woman that she was. The taboo is everywhere that's being broken. And praise God for it. And they had obviously learned a lesson. Don't question Jesus when he does something that we don't expect. And this is earlier in the ministry. Imagine John writing this. Must have had fun writing these words, huh? He was right there making the same faux pas. She left her water jar. Going on. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? That was our job. We went away to the city. We came back. We brought him food. And it's a pretty cool thing that they want him to eat. They could have just said, ah, he's a miracle maker. He can heal the whoever he wants. He can make food. But they said, no, you need to eat. We brought you food because we care about you. You're our, you're our rabbi. You're our close one. And he says something really interesting, really profound. He says, I have food you don't know anything about. What is Jesus' food according to the scriptures right here? He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That word accomplish, which is a really profound word, teleio, which I'm not Greek, so I'm probably really doing disjustice to that pronunciation, says to carry through completely, to accomplish, to finish, to bring to an end. Boy, if there's a description on what Jesus has done on your behalf, that's it. I came to finish the work. I came to complete the work. I came to do what God called me to do. The Father has ordained me to fulfill a mission, and I'm going to bring it to completion. And when you remember to the cross, as we gaze forward from this account, chronologically, and we look towards the cross, Jesus uttered some pretty profound words. Do you remember what, it, what, what they were and how they relate to this? He said three words. That is, again, so profound. It changed your life when you really think about the depths of it. It is finished. Remember that? Why do you say that? Because he was taking glory in the fact, in part, that he was fulfilling the work that was given him to do. He was telling the Father, as well as everyone who would hear, the work that I was sent to do, unlike any other work that could ever be undertaken by any other person that's ever walked because they have their own sin. I'm the sinless lamb sent to save. He's saying it is finished on the cross. And this is where you go back to probably as John's thinking about these things. What he said, he said it is finished. And he's thinking about my will is to do, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. When you have the confidence that you're doing what God called you to do, it's a profound satisfaction like no other. Have you guys experienced that at all in your life? When you just have that deep sense that God's called you to this moment to do what you're doing in that moment for his glory, there's a deep, profound sense of satisfaction that comes. Um, my wife and I, my wife lived in Brazil for a while. I've been there multiple times. We've taken our family there as well. And she taught me this word that they say after a really good meal. Some of you Brazilian friends are here. Satsveta, Right? You say that? I was actually, Gustavo's in the back. He's from Brazil. 
Okay. Well, there you go. It, when, when we're at dinner somewhere, we'll say, Satheta. And the other person will say, Satheta. And it just means, are you satisfied? Are you full? Is there like a heavy sigh of, <sighs> right? Yeah? Good? All right. All right. There we go. Port the guests. I know a few words. That's one of them. But, but it's, that, it's that sense of knowing God's put me in this world for this purpose. I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, about a, a little over a year ago, I was in the hospital. Got there unexpectedly. They said I was having a stroke. I couldn't talk. I couldn't walk. couldn't think. I couldn't come up with animal names on the spot when they asked me to. Just some different weird stuff going on. It was about a year ago, a little over a year. And I was, I was uh, talking to my wife afterwards because when I was in the ER, I had no, it was like black time. You ever had black time where you just don't remember anything from a certain event? That was the time we were in, and I kept saying uh, a phrase over and over again. My wife told me later, and she goes, you know, you just kept repeating, I help. I help, I help, I help. I don't know how many times, honey, I said that a lot. I don't remember it, but she told me that later. And uh, over this last year, I've thought about that a lot. And you know, I can with satisfaction in my heart know that's why I'm here. That's me. And I'm, I'm so thankful to have that as my new moniker. I just want to help. And, and you know what? I think God's ordained that for me. That's my calling. And I do that, whether it's this area, that area, whatever, in the church I have for years. It just defined me. But it's been that last year that I really thought about, wow, the only thing I could say was I help. Now, to turn that story into reality, apparently what I was really trying to communicate was I need to use the restroom. And nobody was understanding me at the time. (laughs) But what I got out of it was my calling... (laughs) But it really does, it really does in me trigger something when I'm able to help in a big or small way. I just want to be around what God's doing. And I've had the privilege to do that for quite a while now. And actually to be able to raise kids in the church and to have uh, my family with me along that journey to I help as we help, <laughs> whether you guys liked it or not. But you guys, when you, when you do find, if you haven't found what you're put on this earth to do, keep going. Keep trying different things. Keep serving God in different ways until you find what you're here for. When you find what God's put on this planet. When you do get to see God work through your life, then it's, there's, there's nothing like it. It's like the satsvita. I'm just so satisfied and content. And when, you, when, you, when you're able to have the gift of doing and having that satisfaction, it's a, it's a gift like no other. So I pray that you would continue that search until you find what you're here for. And you know what? It's not wasted time when you're just doing something. Maybe you're not called to do, but you're still doing it because you want to serve God and serve people. You know, we we say love God, love others, and do good. That's life. And uh, and hopefully you can say, I help. However big and small that is for you to do. So Jesus says, going back to the word, Do not say there yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. What is he telling them? He's telling them, guys, there's an idiom, there's a a phrase, you know, four months until the harvest. That's kind of another way, Jewish way of just saying 
that uh, just wait. It, you have to wait. There's no rush. It's going to take four months. It just became a thing where don't get in a hurry. Jesus is like, don't say that when it comes to saving souls. Look at the Samaritans, these unreached people, these people that have been ostracized by us Jews. He's basically saying, take a look with your spiritual sense and get the feeling that God wants us to move now because they're ripe for harvest. They want salvation. We're the messengers of salvation. I am the Messiah, the Savior. We're to go to the people and we're, we're going to share this message with them. And it's ripe. The harvest is ripe. Sometimes, guys, we can get so discouraged that somebody's so hardened to, the, to Jesus that we forget that God may be preparing the harvest. And we forget to keep sharing and praying for and loving and serving with the intention of them coming to know him. Don't be discouraged. Look up. Look what your spiritual father is doing and know that it could be very different than what you think he's doing or not doing, right? Feel that sense sometimes where you're just like praying and nothing, or you're beating your head against a wall. Nothing's happening. The soul's still hard. The soul's still, still impenetrable. But you never know what God's doing. And I would say all of us, those of you who know Jesus, those of you who are just figuring out who Jesus is right now, you don't even know what you believe about him yet. Still come, still investigate. The Lord wants you to know him. And for all of us that are already confident in that relationship, don't give up praying for those that you think are so far away from Jesus that they're never going to be saved. They're never going to understand their spiritual thirst. Don't quit. God's saying, look up. The harvest is ripe. Don't wait and just throw in the towel and think, well, I got more time, or they're never going to come. He's telling his disciples, we have a job to do, and the Father's prepared for us to do it. 36 says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. It's a wonderful truth found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, where Paul says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. That's Paul saying that. Guys, we're not anything. You're just happy to be here. You're just happy to be involved. You're just happy to have a calling. It's a blessing to be involved, but no one's better than the other. No one's more important than the other. Nothing what you do is less inferior or more important than somebody else that's serving the Lord. It's all brought together, ordained by him. That's why God... Spends a lot of time in the scriptures describing us as a body. Because you can't operate a full body and do the things you need to do without all its parts working together cooperatively. So you could be the evangelist of evangelists, but you still need the sower. You could be the sower of sowers and very faithful in it, but you still have to have somebody come and reap. Sometimes you get to see all the above, but the most important thing is for you to do faithfully what God has called you to do. And match that with other people alongside. And guess what? When he does that in a community, lives are changed. Societies are changed for the better. And people are finding Jesus. It's happening in our midst, you guys. It's happening in our midst right now. Don't get discouraged by the news reports. God is moving now. 
He's saving souls now. People are coming to understand more of the gospel now in our midst. I talk to people every Sunday. It seems since COVID, maybe not during COVID. Yeah, a little bit during COVID too. It was a tough time for everyone, but God was still moving. He was still changing lives, and I'm still seeing it today. And we're rejoicing as elders in our elders meeting, as we pray for the church, and as we gather our information, we're finding out, hey, you talked to that person, this person, this life's changing, and they're giving that other false satisfying thing away so they can know Jesus more. And it's a glorious, glorious thing to watch. Be encouraged. The fields are ripe. It's still that way even when it doesn't look it. Doesn't that encourage you to be reminded of that? Is Maybe you've grown stagnant in your own soul and you feel like I haven't grown in ages. I'm still waiting for the growth to come in my loved ones. I'm still wanting to see God move and change my environment for the better in the lives of those around me. And yet, When we take a moment to say, Lord, thank you for what you've done to this point. I have faith in you to continue this work until its completion. You said it is finished on the cross. I'm trusting you to have an it is finished moniker over my life and over the lives around me. And you will do it because I'm just a sower. I'm just a reaper. I'm just somebody who's dependent on the rain that I'm not in control of. You bring the increase, God. You bring the increase. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Be like the disciples who renewed in their vision to look at even the unreached people like the Samaritans as people that were going to be saved. Now let's look at the result and we'll, we'll close with this. Many, verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. How glorious is that? He told me all that I ever did, she said to them. She didn't care about her reputation. She didn't care about her story. She didn't care about the suffering that may have been involved. She just... It's all in the testimony. And now people are going out to see him for themselves. It says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? People avoided this area, and they're like, Jesus, will you hang out with us a little bit longer? And he stayed there two more days. Disciples maybe were checking their watch. When we when we take it off, we got to go to Galilee. Jesus is like, nope. This is where we're supposed to be. I love these people. They need to know the truth. They don't have it yet, but I'm giving it to them. And you're a part of it. And you get to be honored to be a part of it. I'm going to stay here two more days. Okay. Don't always understand what Jesus is doing. I think they understand the point at this point to trust him. We can do the same. Many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, For we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I love this. There's only a couple times in the New Testament Savior of the world is presented. 1 John actually has in chapter 4, interestingly enough, 1 John and John, the four chapters. In 1 John 4.14 it says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. So John carries us into his letters. And he says, basically, guys, Jesus is not just for the Jews. Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. And if he's the Savior, that means he's saving you from and me from something. And ultimately, guys, the gospel is this, that Jesus, though he sinned not, became sin for us 
so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that's only possible that you're able to exchange your filthiness for righteousness because of the finished work of Jesus Christ that he accomplished on Calvary's cross. Ultimately, not just staying in a grave, but rising from the dead three days later so that we would know unequivocally with all confidence that we can be saved and follow in the first fruits of of the work of the Father accomplished through the Son and empowered through the Spirit that we might become the righteousness of God. Not just to get on thrones and hang out, but to share the message that everyone around us could also be confident that they are loved by the Creator who created them, who gives satisfaction to the deepest longing in their soul so that no matter how outcast of the outcast of the outcast, that they too could be confident that God saves them to the uttermost. There's no one outside the camp that can't be saved. The arm of the Lord is not too short. He saves to the uttermost, no matter who, no matter where they're from, no matter their history, no matter if they've had five husbands or 25 husbands. Outcast of the outcast, Jesus came to be the Savior of the world to accomplish and finish the work of the Father. And we all can rejoice now and say, yes, Father, please save me. Save me. Save my loved ones. Save to the uttermost. And God, I'm going to trust you even when I can't see that the fields are white where the harvest is ready because I know you're working. Be encouraged. That's why I love this passage. And then we're going to get a narrative next week with, with Nick teaching next week. Don't miss that. But amazing truths in here, isn't it? I who speak to you am he. The savior of the world. Take note. These guys from Samaria came out. Samaria. Samaria. I can't even say that word right now. Samaria. They came back saying, we know now, because not because what you told us, but because we heard from him that he's the savior of the world. Jesus was saying, I am the savior of the world. That's how they knew he was the savior of the world. He was saying it to the Samaritans. I am the savior of the world. And Samaria is included. San Luis Obispo is included. Slow County is included. The state of California, as crazy as it is, is included. U.S. is included. Bangladesh. Hungary. Russia. Albania. Venezuela. Brazil. It's all stand. Let's pray. And the worship team is going to come up. Right now, just think about someone in your life, maybe a couple people, maybe a few, that you are praying for. And if you're at the top of that list because you know your need, pray simply that God would see you and receive you. And though your faith be the size of a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, you could be saved by the Savior of the world. We're going to pray right now. I'm going to leave some silence just to let us focus for a moment. Who's on your heart? Um, If you need to confess your sin and just say simply, Lord, please forgive me. Be my Savior. Then I would encourage you to do that prayer with him because he's going to hear you you when you pray from your heart. 
And when you have people on your heart that you know you want to know Jesus because he's so good that he would seek them out individually, whether he has to go through Samaria or wherever, to find them, to meet with them, then that'll happen. But let's pray right now, just wherever you are, just pray right now to Jesus in quietness of your heart, for your own soul, for those around you. And then Emily's going to come up after we worship one last time have some closing announcements. Just pray right now. Pray in your heart. Pray to Jesus who hears you through the Holy Spirit.